Welcome to Frequent Flyer here. It is uh, Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. And I guess we got to talk about the Flyers. I think we should change this to a podcast about puppies or something from now on. Just to (laughs) change the subject up a little bit, a little uh, more lighthearted. But uh, Manny is here, as always. Manny, how you doing? Oh, you know, just... uh... Everything's the same again in Flyer World, isn't it? It and, sucks, uh, but this is it's like an oil spill. Where do you even begin? Where do you start? Do you start scrubbing the little ducklings on the beach and getting that stuff off of them? Do you start raking up all the muck and all the sludge off of the sand? Where? Where do we start? I'm just feeling a little like I've thrown myself against the wall here trying to figure out um, why I should care about this team anymore. But other than that, everything's great. How are you guys? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of sludge to get through. We'll we'll get through that in a minute. Uh, Mike is back as well. Mike, what's up? Uh, Good evening, gentlemen. Um, I'm doing great tonight. A little exhausted from this Flyers team, as seems like everybody in Flyer world is. uh, The critics, the beat writers, uh, the broadcasters, everybody has a little bit of a sigh going on right now with what we've seen so far. There's a few people left that are still on their holier-than-thou positive fan high horse bullshit that i hear about but i I do think a lot of this fan base you know people that were steadfast to believing in this team for the years of the hextall rebuild are finally starting to turn the natives are finally starting to get restless here and uh I, i i think it's i think it's about time you know we had dan silver on the show uh last week and he's one of those people, you know, who is a Hextall fan of the end. But even he's like, okay, it's time to start making things happen here and kind of get into that win-now mode. And the win-now mode, as far as their team performance, has been less than stellar. Uh, they beat the Sabres last night, technically, but it sure doesn't feel like it. Um This comes after a rough week against the Penguins, the Capitals. They have two more games against the Caps. Uh, tomorrow and I believe Saturday. Um, great. Totally looking forward to that right now. But uh, last night's game was like a microcosm of the entire season. They came out slow, got buried because of shitty defense and bad goaltending. Their offense slowly but surely worked back, led by Farabee and JVR. They made it happen, made it to a shootout. <laughs> the Sabres played some of those boring 3-on-3 OT I've ever seen. And luckily enough, the Flyers were able to beat them in a shootout. The Sabres were on their third-string goaltender and were without Jack Eichel, which probably helped uh, a little bit in their winning effort. But, yeah, not a uh, not a pretty game last night, Manny. No, I, and thank goodness I didn't watch the game. I listened to it on the radio. Otherwise, I might have pried my eyeballs out with a spoon. Um, you know, they start quick. They get on the board straight away with 
JVR, the team MVP, your Bobby Clark, uh, you know, MVP <laughs> award winner probably this year, um, which is great. Happy for the guy. Assisted by Farabee, another very pleasant surprise this year. Uh, thought he would be better uh, than last year. Uh, I didn't think he would be quite this good and this adept at, you know, shooting the puck and and getting goals, which is great to see. Katuriega assisted on that first goal, and I thought he played pretty well last night as well from what I heard on the radio. But then after that, I just, my blood was boiling because, you know, Sam Reinhardt scores his 10th of the season. Riley Sheehan scores his third of the season. And next thing you know, the Sabres are up 3-1. And this is, like, you can't come out in a game flat, like, you know, week old 7-up, and, and expect to win against any team in the NHL. And I know the Sabres were without Eichel, but this Flyers team really needs a shot in the arm, and they need something to change, and it needs to happen sooner rather than later. We're, I'm sure we're going to talk about trades. I'm sure we're going to talk about the power play. I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot of different things. Uh, when, we, when we've spoken about this team before, we've talked about an identity. And this team doesn't have one. In fact, their identity is that they're pretty miserable and mediocre and underwhelming. And I'm just finding that myself, that the two Washington games this week, I didn't even watch. I couldn't even bring myself to watch those games because I could already, you know, write the script. I already know what's going to happen. And while they didn't completely, you know, crap the bed uh, last night because they they did wind up getting the, the two points. Thanks to Nolan Patrick, who finally is God's <laughs> gift to God, the Flyers, even though he, he, he basically did a, you know, a skills competition. And by the way, Coots actually was credited with the game-winning shootout goal because he scored before him, and Buffalo's completely inept and couldn't score at all. Uh, but of course, Nolan Patrick's back. Yay, the revenge tour. Um, I can barely get up to listen and, and watch these games anymore because something is just, it, it's stale. It needs to change. We need to invigorate this team with some new life, some new blood. Something needs to happen to stir things up. I still do think that this is, at its core, a much better team than what they're showing. Um, we did preseason predictions and Dan, you and I both said this is a second or third place team in the division. And actually, you know what, Mike, I got to give credit to you. You said that, Hey, this team could finish anywhere from first to sixth. Or first <laughs> yeah. to and you know what? You're, you're right. And, and you know what? And Nick shout out to Nick. I mean, he said that these guys weren't going to make the playoffs because they were too soft. And man, I feel really off with these with this prediction, and I feel bad that I actually believed in this team right now. Well, it's been the same script, the same pattern for so many years in a row, and we've talked about it so many times in a row, is that this team, I think at this point, they kind of like getting down early because it's too hard to play against the other team when they're trying really hard. So... What easier way to score goals than to let the other team score a couple first, and then they sit back, and it's easier for you to score. I mean, that's pretty easy. That's, that's solid theory right there. Yeah. I mean, that's the pattern. I mean, my God, we've seen this pattern for years and years and years, no matter what head coach, no matter what general manager, this is what this team likes to do. I mean, and I think it carries over to the power play. When the Flies are on the power play, 
The other team gets to play defense. They don't have to play offense anymore, so they can just lock in. And it's too hard for the Flyers to score. So it's easier for them to score on five on five when they're down by a couple of goals and the other team is sitting back and not really trying as hard because they have the lead. And at this point, we're seeing so much soft and sloppy defense for huge stretches. Um, we saw a couple gorgeous uh, snipes uh, from Buffalo last night, which was interesting to see. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, the Flyers win the game, but in, in essence, this is really just fool's gold. We've seen it before. We're going to see it again. And it's hard to get excited when the same things keep happening. It's just the it's power play. They did score the power play last night. They were one for four, which brings their uh, total in the last three games up to three for 16, I believe. <laughs> Yeehaw. Uh, they've still allowed more power play goals on the year than they've scored. And that number is increasing, uh, by the way. It's just brutal. And as Manny said, you can just, you don't even need to watch the games. You know, I, I do every night for some goddamn reason because I hate myself. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just the same thing. They go down. First period, it's three wide. Then they slowly but surely come back. Some nights they complete it. Some nights they don't. And it's just been a sad little mess to watch it's just painful you know on most nights and the defense sucks carter hart has been in a real bad funk the team defense sucks and the offense outside of Faraby and jvr has been fairly inconsistent in terms of who's producing on a nightly basis and it's just it's it's the perfect mixture of shit that's keeping them in this this middle ground here, this bubble team. You know, they've got a couple games in hand on elite everybody but Boston. So I don't count them out as a playoff group yet. But you know, and this goes back to what we talked about, you know, the other week with the Sabers, um, the first time they beat them in the back to back over the weekend. Like, you picked up the win, you beat the Sabers. Everybody's playing in their goddamn Stanley Cup parade, right? But it's the Sabers. You go out there and you shit the uh, shit the bet against the Penguins, and then the Capitals. Like you, you haven't beat Boston yet this year. You can beat the Sabers all day long, and, and you know you win the battle, not the war kind of thing. If you can beat the Sabers, that's great. If you cannot beat teams that are actually going to be in the playoffs, what are you doing here? You know, even if you make it at this point, if they you know grasp the fourth uh, fourth seed. And you play what Washington in the first round? Do you think they're going to make it past that series? If they play Boston in the first round, do you think they're going to make it past that series? You know, like even if they make it at this point, what the fuck? What are we doing here? You know, I, I just I don't I don't have a good feeling about this core as is, and you know we're going to hear it after the season. The positive fans, which I've been blocking quite a few of lately because they're fucking annoying, but um. They're going to be, well, this is the first time they made the playoffs in back-to-back years since, you know, 11-12 or whatever it was. You know, we'll hear that positive spin, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know. I, I'm so apathetic towards this team at this point. It's just, it's painful anymore. Yeah, and I guess this, listen, it, it, there's, I've heard Charlie O'Connor say on the on his show that, uh, you know, basically there's a couple groups of Flyer fans. And he says, like, you know, the ones that are, you know, kind of didn't want anything to happen in the offseason 
are kind of happy that the, that they're doing that the Flyers are like this. He, he I'm paraphrasing. He said something along those lines. And I got to tell you, it's not joyful at all. I mean, the three of us sat here and said, let's keep it fresh. It's go time. Let's improve this team. Try to buy, you know, some way, somehow, you know, pick something, address it and get moving. And if Niskanen's retirement didn't spur that initiative, that, you know, bias for action that Chuck Fletcher was supposed to be known for. Uh, and by the way, Dan, you did a great piece on his time in the Minnesota wild where he had, you know, tremendously uh, abysmal mediocre uh, trade deadline acquisitions. So I'm not really looking forward to this trade deadline, Yeah. Um, but you know, we were of the opinion that, you know what, they needed to do something and you can't let a guy like Niskanen just up and retire and not replace him. And there was another group of, of fans that basically said, run it back <laughs> using a football term uh, when describing a hockey. Game. That's okay. That, 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 that's not completely ludicrous. Uh, and anyways, they've made the decision and they ran it back. And the, and there's some fans I interacted with today and they said, you know what? I was of that opinion too, because they were a young team. They're a good young team. They're on the rise. Let's see what they got. The problem with that is there was other fans and, and people on other shows even saying, but what if, what if Niskanen leaving has a detrimental effect on Provorov? And I think that we can say right now that it has. Um, and I'm a huge Provorov fan. He's been underwhelming. What if the defense is in such a shambles that it affects Carter Hart? I think we can strongly say it has. Um, this team's defense, and listen, Robert Hag guy here, he's been underwhelming too, okay? Ghost, I'm sorry, I don't care that he's got four goals in the, na- the last eight games, whatever. I don't care about this ghost revenge tour nonsense. He's four and a half million dollars of wasted space. I hope he scores another 10 goals and we can ship him out of here. (laughs) But again, the thing is they went into the season going with the cards that they had. And the problem with that is the what if, and you need a backup plan and you needed to, if things go South, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And we haven't seen that yet. And I'm wondering if we're ever going to see that because the things that I keep hearing about, you know, Nashville and Ekholm. And yes, that's going to be the sexy piece at the trade deadline this year. Nashville just got Dante Fabro suspended for throwing an elbow. So he's out two games. Roman Yossi is week to week with an injury. So he's going to be out of action for a while. And Ryan Ellis is out four to six weeks. Nashville is not in a position right now where they can just trade Ekholm. They're going to wait And I think it's actually smart for them to wait closer to the deadline anyways, because they're going to want a bidding war for his services. This is the big piece that they've got on the market right now. I don't see them trading Philip Forsberg. I don't see them making any other huge moves other than Ekholm. He is going to get dealt. The question is for what? Dennis Bernstein was on uh, O&B, and he said he thought it was going to be two second-round picks. I understand the flat cap. I understand that there's not a lot of salary that's going to be able to be moved around. I still say Nashville sticks to their guns and tries to force a team to trade their first round pick and a prospect for this guy. There's going to be Boston's going to be sniffing around. They need a defenseman. The Flyers are sniffing around. They need a defenseman. You got to imagine Winnipeg 
if they can get, they beat the Leafs last night. If they can add an Ekholm to their defense, because that's their weakness, that would make them a player in the North. This is their opportunity. They have to do this. They got to be in on him. I got to imagine the Edmonton Oilers are going to be in on him. I got to imagine other teams are going to be in there. There's too many cooks in the kitchen for there not to be smoke where there's fire. There just isn't. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, if you look at this team, the forwards actually are are decent. And most of the problems come back to the fact that they do not have legitimate top veteran defensemen. And that's something that is so absolutely mission critical to team building. You know, the Flyers started this whole build from the net out approach eight years ago. And I think most of us would probably agree that that's that's a good way to start. Build from the net out. I would agree with that. Let's let's do it that way. Fine. How is it seven, eight years later, you still do not have a reasonable top pair or really a reasonable top four at all? How what the hell kind of team building is that? And then don't give me the oh well there were, there hasn't been the right opportunity. Are you freaking kidding me? Seven or eight years there wasn't an opportunity for you to solidify from the net out. I mean that is that is to me a monumental failure of the front office through Hextall and even now through Fletcher. I mean Matt Niskanen was one year, and even if you had him for this second year, I mean the guy really helped solidify them, but he's not like the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, you needed more than that. And I just can't get my mind around how you can ignore that repeatedly. You know, they had to re-sign Voracek. They had to grind Simmons into dust. They traded Braden Shen for futures. All the while, you ignored the defense. And now it's coming back to bite you, and the snowball is now not just the size of a snowball, but it's the size of a house, and you can't stop it. There's nothing they can do, especially with COVID and the flat cap and expansion drafts and all those other excuses. There's nothing they can do to solve this remedy. They are stuck. And and to me, that is the most egregious, high-level uh, criticism that I have. I, I would agree. You know, they waited all these years, the Hextall patience bullshit, you know, for for this group that they have now. You know, everybody, Travis Sanheim, Gosses, Bear, Provorov, Myers, like, this was supposed to be it. This is what we were waiting for, you know, and, and what do you got? You got a whole lot of dudes, just a bunch of dudes that are totally interchangeable and are nothing special. Well, Daniel, Travis Hanheim still developed. Travis Hanheim's like 230 games into his career. This is what he is. You know, Goss's Bears, not even how many fucking games in his career. He's been around forever at this point. You know, this is what he is. He's a hot mess that gets hot every once in a while. And when he is good like he is now, it's still not even anything that over special. You know, Myers is still relatively young. He has not 800 games. You know, give him at least a bit of an opportunity. And Provorov is... You know, he's a good defenseman. He's a number one by default, but he's not an elite-level guy, you know? And and now you're in a situation where you have all these outside factors working, and the, the, the cap, the expansion, the, the shitty trade market that I'm sure is going to be seen here as the, the deadline approaches. Now you got to do something. And, you know, Anthony has brought up a few times, like, is one defenseman even enough to right the ship at this point is getting Ekholm by himself enough. 
you know, don't they need like an Ekholm and a Savard or an Ekholm, you know, whoever to, to help this out. And I think that's right. And that's even worse. Even if you, the price for Ekholm for funsies, two seconds, no roster players, no cash, nothing. Just trade them two seconds. You bring Ekholm in. Is that enough? You know, does that fix? I don't know. You know, and no. as many alluded to, I wrote that piece on Fletcher because um, I was curious. You know, I knew he never did much. You know, as a, as an overall NHL fan, I knew he never did much in Minnesota as far as additions came at the deadline, and it's pretty fucking slim. You know, Matt Molson for a pair of seconds one year. He brought in Chris Stewart one year, um, <laughs> and uh, the the big one obviously was Martin Hansel. Uh, and Ryan White for a first, fourth, and uh, high prospect, or whatever the hell it was. I don't remember, but, like, it's just nothing, you know? There's no track record of him being able to – and they go, but Daniel, he brought in Kevin Hayes last year. <laughs> Great! Great! We're going to ride – we're going to fucking rest on those laurels for the end of time, you know? Like, make something happen, and you're just in a situation where I don't know if you can. Manny and I were talking uh, on Twitter this morning. This uh, uh, Brandon fell. Interesting conversation with NHL scout. Uh, Flyers GM Chuck Fletcher has talked to multiple teams about multiple positions, not just defense, but made one thing clear. Fletcher isn't ready to pull the trigger on going for it with PHI uh, current position in standings. And listen, I know the reputation of the man in question here has not been super strong, but that's the situation is believable, right? Because that, as a fan, that's how I feel as well. You know, if you're a bubble team, as the Flyers are, and you're playing this shit, you know, you have to realize that they need help, but that maybe it's not out there. You know, do you take your L this year if you're Fletcher, go into the offseason and fix shit then? You know, that seems to be almost the proper way to go about this. You don't want to burn the farm down for a move that ultimately ends up not happening. And somebody like Eckholm, you know, even further, going into him, you know, for the expansion draft, you pick up Eckholm, it was a year left on his deal. What happens then? Are you going to give up prospects or picks or whatever, some kind of asset for Eckholm who you would ultimately lose two months later in the expansion draft? I don't know if he's going to, like, that. this is all the kind of shit. Uh, like the, the, the people on Twitter that go, well, I'm only going to judge Fletcher after the deadline if he doesn't do anything. I'm sitting here trying to pick all these pieces apart. Like, I don't understand how he's going to do something. You know, if it's not one thing stopping him, it's another. And ultimately, like I said, the source may be shady, but that's the kind of thing I'm worried about here is Fletcher not doing anything. So a couple of quick things. So Dan Knightley uh, tweeted out, there's going to be about 20 teams looking for a top 4D at the deadline. Flyers fans, we got to prepare for nothing getting done this season. I'm not (laughs) expecting anything. Doesn't mean, though, that I won't be really pissed off. So he's right. And then he responds to that, um, that tweet that you were referring to, Dan. And he says, sell, sell, sell. So in other words, that's his game plan. And I'm not going to argue yay or nay, but I think it's incumbent on the Flyers to pull out all the stops and to try to get Ekholm. And I say that because I think a shakeup is needed. I think a lot of these players are really comfortable. I think the coaching staff is really comfortable. I think it's a little too cozy right now uh, in Philadelphia. Um, 
I know that we've mentioned uh, Bill Zito before when we were together. And he's, of course, the GM of the Florida Panthers. And listening to Elliot Friedman on 31 Thoughts, he says that in talking to Bill, uh, that management team has basically said, these guys in Florida have been way too comfortable for way too long. They've got the sunshine. They've got the anonymity of being in South Florida. They've got the tax haven where they don't have to pay tax and everyone wants to go play there. They can go fishing and golfing and, you know, do whatever they want, gym tanning and laundry and all the other stuff. And nobody cared. And one of the things that Bill Zito and his crew in Florida wanted to do, and you look at the results this year. They are a bona fide playoff team now because the expectation, look, they came right out. They made an example out of, uh, I'm sorry, who was the defenseman that they threatened to scratch? Uh, Yandel. Yandel. Keith Yandel, who was a very popular player. And ultimately, they didn't scratch him. And they kind of forced the players on the team to kind of really back up their their reputation and really start to play better. And I think that's what's needed. If you just get at home, I think that it's a lot of dominoes that can happen, and that's where planning comes into play. Um, I saw – listen, if it works, it works, and you want to get heart better and you want to get your deep pairs better, at least two of them better if you can. I saw somebody on Twitter, and I don't know who it was, but I want to ask – both of you is it a slam dunk uh, i don't know if it was zach or if it was podcast bob who said that i'm sorry i don't remember is it a slam dunk that the flyers automatically don't protect that comb because this 7-3-1 formula seven forwards three defensemen and one goalie it's advantageous because you get to protect 11 players but the other alternative is you can protect eight skaters and a goalie so if you really wanted to, if Ekholm comes here and really makes a difference, what's stopping you from saying, I'm going to protect 4D, and then the four forwards are going to be Sean Couturier, Travis Konechny. Um, it's got to be Giroux and Hayes because the NMCs. Yeah. And Giroux and Hayes. Because Farabee's still on his ELC. You don't mm-hmm. have to protect them. Do you really want to protect Nolan Patrick? Really? Do you really want a waste to protect? Is there spot anybody you really want to protect here? <laughs> well, I mean, from even if you go Provorov, Sanheim, Myers, even though I'd ex- uh, expose Sanheim, like from a forward perspective, you got Konechny and Couturier, right? Other than that, like who cares? You want them to take somebody like Voracek or JVR off your goddamn hands, right? Is that oh. the point of the expansion draft? Yeah, they have to. I would. You know, at the end of the day, with the with the expansion draft, they just have to let the chips fall. I think there's all of these different ways to maneuver around it and whatnot. And I think that's an interesting uh, question, Manny, as to you know if we would want to protect Ekholm and reconfigure the protection slots or not reconfigure them and lose maybe even a guy like Sanheim. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to pay Travis Sanheim anyway. Um, So, you know, he's coming up on a new contract. He's not going to be playing for an ELC level money anymore. And maybe, you know, maybe the team is best suited moving forward without him uh, with a guy like Ekholm as his replacement. Uh, And at this point in time, I would be fine for trying something new like that, you know, break the mold of, 100% 100% build from within and see where it gets you. I mean, I'm I'm okay if they try to get creative like that. Where do you stand on that stuff, Dan? You know, 
Manny used the term comfortable. And, like, <clears throat> I think that's the most frustrating thing about this entire thing is you had all these years under Hextall where nothing fucking changed. Now you bring in a new coach, a new GM, and we're still sitting in neutral. You know, as much as we can sit here and plan, you know, they can get Eckholm and then protect him and let Sanheim go. There's that part of me that says that's not going to happen. Right. There's that part of me, even if they get Eckholm, they'll just expose him. They'll just re-sign Sanheim. They'll re-sign Nolan Patrick. They'll go, oh, we like our team. They may add a player or two, but it's going to be the same. <laughs> you like the hand motions there. It's going to be the same, the same group, the same core. Nothing's going to fucking change. And I, listen, these positive fans on Twitter drive me absolutely nuts. But, uh, you know, they give them so much benefit of the doubt. And it's like, they don't earn the benefit of the doubt for me anymore. You know, yes, they brought in Kevin Hayes. and yet, But, like, there's so much bullshit that doesn't change. People get angry at me because I'm negative. How the fuck can anybody be anything but negative when you look at this team? And I had somebody go, well, if you ignore the defensive problems, they're not bad. And it's like, oh, okay then. If you just ignore all the shit, yeah, they're a pretty good team, right? Like, God, I just, you, something needs to, to break. You yeah. know, you need, and, and God damn, I wish Ed Snyder was still alive, you know, to fucking do something here. You know, kick it's, this fucking team into overdrive a little bit because it's just, it's the same. Until something changes, until Fletcher gets the balls to do something. And I swear to fucking Christ, if we call this expansion draft here and nothing happens, oh, I'm going to lose my mind. Hell, if we go to the trade deadline and nothing happens, oh, there will be a meltdown of epic fucking proportions if these same six defensemen are here when the time comes. I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. Well, we like our team, and I don't want to add nothing. I don't want to trade a prospect for a 35-year-old. Fletcher Bracing is in her goddamn Ron Hextall on that one. Oh, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> it's funny that <laughs> it's funny you bring up uh, Bill Zito as well, Manny. I... Oddly enough, I don't know a lot of people in the NHL, but I actually know Bill Zito personally. <laughs> I um, I have a cell phone number. I've spoken with him one-on-one -on -one several times, actually. Um, and he is an incredibly intense man. Um, very intense, extremely smart. He was a former player agent in the 90s. Um, was the GM of the Cleveland Monsters of the AHL when they won a Calder Cup and was basically under Yarmo Kekalainen's tutelage in Columbus for many years before he landed in Florida. And he is a, a brilliant mind, a brilliant mind. And what you mentioned about making the players uncomfortable is so true and so spot on for what needs to happen here with the Flyers. You know, this is, this is a vacillating playoff team. That's what they are. They go in and out of, okay, well, maybe they'll make it. Maybe they won't. They're in that number 12 to number 22 draft pick range every <laughs> freaking year, which is completely useless. It gets you absolutely nowhere. And the only way anything is ever going to change is if they have a totally lopsided record. They have to, you know, be in the basement of the NHL for an extended period of time for anybody to do anything about it. That's probably not going to happen because that's actually pretty hard to do. Yeah. Um, and that leads me to believe that I think the front office and ownership is okay with it. I mean, I was I was thinking this right before Ron Hextall was fired. And then when I saw the press conference with Dave Scott, um, 
and Paul Holmgren that kind of changed my mind a little bit about the direction as to where those folks want to see this team go. But then when I see what's what's transpired in at least the past like year and a half with the Flyers, I start thinking, well, maybe they're actually okay with this. Maybe they're like, hey, you know what? At least we're not as bad as the Buffalo Sabres. You know, we must be doing something right because we're better than they are. So we don't really have to change much. And I'm starting to think that they're all right with that. Like, they don't need to be anywhere between 12 and 22. They think that they're doing things right that way. Um, I think it's a philosophical wrong way to go philosophically here. I think it's I think it's really short sighted. I think that it just shows organizational way too comfortable all, all across the board. And it comes from the top down. Uh, and that's what gets folks like us so pissed off because life is short. I mean, life is short. We're all going to die someday. <laughs> and, and, you know, Claude Giroux is still going to be the fucking captain. And we're going to see Jake Voracek on his fifth contract or something. It's just like, you know, like <laughs> something has to go here. Eh? Something ha- has to change with the mix. And, um, I just don't get the confidence from the front office right now until I see something. Yep. That's where I'm at, guys. Exactly. I I want to continue on with this with this vein. Um, sure. What's the point? Why did we get Chuck Fletcher? Why didn't we just keep Ron Hextall? Because the they, fan base was this close to revolting if they kept that fucking Hextall asshole around. That's a and great it, question. And isn't it in, but it, but like he made all of his moves last year and you were like, all right, this is a, a breath of fresh air New and era. everything did really good. The team responded, new coach, new personnel, new players. And then one year later, where's the be a fucking flyer? Where's yeah. the, where's the, you know, martinis and, and the hype and the good news around this team. The swagger is gone. This team has no ability to sustain momentum for any length of time. And literally, if it was going to be a sit on your hands and don't worry, the kids are going to take over and they're going to win us the cup. Why get rid of Hextall? The, the interesting thing, though, is now we have fans back in the building. Oh, At least some the of booze them. have been incredible. <laughs> and I applaud those people because <laughs> this team deserved to be booed in typical Philadelphia fashion. They needed to be booed, and I think they needed to hear it. And on that note, it's not a comedic version of the top five, but oh the top five fan moments. Uh, because I was really, it almost brought a tear to my eye when I heard those boos. It was beautiful. It was like it was like Beethoven, you know, <laughs> trying to listen to his symphony, uh, you know, for the first time. Um, and <laughs> Mickey went in G. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I was just trying to think of some uh, of the awesome uh, fan things that these flyer fans our flyer fellow flyer fans have done and if that doesn't kickstart some action or some change i don't know what will because i remember the fans were just well actually you know what i'll save it because it's on my list but just the ref you suck or asshole chant or the booze or just yelling shoot that's my number five i just missed it so much and hearing those boos was beautiful i just loved it uh number four the bracelet incident against the washington capitals six one loss 
after uh, the dear owner Ed Snyder passes away, and they chuck bracelets all over the ice. And I was good with that. Yeah, I love it. Great. I was awesome. good with that. Um, number three, I really liked this one. Was it was when the fans were chanting MVP when Claude Giroux scored a hat trick in a five nothing win over the Rangers to secure a playoff spot. And really, he should have won the MVP that year. He really should have. I thought that was a great moment, too. Number two, the fire Hextall chance. How Ron Hextall didn't fire this guy. Like, it started off kind of as a gimmick. Couple games. Fire Hextall. Fire Hextall. And then they had no option because half the stadium's practically yelling it. And he and then he refused to do it, which is why he got his ass canned and, and shown the door. But my number one still to this day, best fan moment or incident, the Ty Domi incident with the water yeah. and the water bottle. Just yeah. classic. I love it. It's great to see fans back. I hope everybody stays safe and gets their shots and everything else. But, man, this was a good step forward. And this hockey team is ruining it. It's <laughs> ruining everything. Well, one thing that's hilarious as well about the fans being there now is that there's only like 3,000, which is great because it's like really quiet. So all the players can hear the fans much more clearly than you normally would be able to. So everything is amplified. I mean, I could hear a lot of it on TV. Normally yeah, there's yeah. you know other crowd noise. It's drowning it out or something like that. But everything is crystal clear on there, which is great. Those players, that must sting so freaking bad. It's like, oh, finally, after a year and change of no fans, we finally <laughs> have our fans back. And within seconds, they're getting booed off the ice. <laughs> It just sucks. Like, it just sucks that we're sitting here after all this fucking time and talking about the same things we were talking about in, like, 2018. You know? The last few games have felt like right before Ron Hextall got fired. Just lifeless bullshit hockey, not doing anything, listless horse shit. You know? This is just... I, 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 I hate that I still fucking feel like this. Ah, you mentioned that on Twitter. Well, you're just being negative. Am I? <laughs> you know, I just think I'm a realistic person here. Putting faith in this team to do anything at this point is horseshit. What kind of good faith do they have now? You know, give me something to be positive about, and I'll be positive. If they were playing like the Tampa Bay Lightning and winning every goddamn game and doing it convincingly, I wouldn't have an issue. The thing with last night is, they won but didn't feel like it. That's been a theme throughout the whole season, right? That's why the, they're 11-2-1 without the Bruins. That's why that's such a fucking gimmick, right? Have they had any decisive wins besides those two Sabres games at all this year that were, like, flat out, no question about FRY wins? No! They were winning games by the skin of their teeth all year. You know, this has been a fool's gold kind of team all season long, you know? And, and and when they beat the Sabres and people are planning their goddamn cup parades, it's like, it, 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 just, it drives me nuts. You know, the Sabres. I want to see good, solid hockey against good, solid teams. And I think that's a downfall of playing in just the division this year. Is you're playing the same teams. What happens when these guys square off against the Lightning? Or the Hurricanes who have been really good this year? Or Vegas or Colorado? Do you think this Flyers group could handle them? Absolutely not. You know, 
So even if they make the playoffs, and even if they squeeze a decent opponent out and make it to the second round, like there's just no way. There's no way this team, as currently constructed, can be successful. And it's so goddamn frustrating that I've waited seven years of my life with the promise of gold at the end of the fucking rainbow. And here we are. It's just a big pile of camel shit. <laughs> it's no, a bowl of lucky charms. <sighs> it's true. I mean, it's funny. And I don't think that, you know, it sounds negative. I don't think we're being negative at all. Honestly, I I had very little problem with much of anything that this franchise did from about 1968 until about 2013. Yeah. Uh, I was pretty good with... Mostly everything they did, I was I was not negative about the Flyers. Though, in fact, they were they were my priority franchise for many many years. And and to say to other teams, hey, this is how you do it. This is how you run a team. This is how you compete. This is what you should be doing. I had I had very little negativity to say about the Flyers. But then once kind of the last year of Holmgren was here, and then as that when Hextall was assistant general manager and it transitioned into Hextall regime now into Fletcher, these are the years where they just don't seem like the same flyers anymore. They don't operate the same way. It's, it's a, it's a totally different lack of identity type of franchise. They are, they are petrified. This group is, is totally petrified of moments of consequence. Yeah. And that goes back to our earlier conversation about, you know, big games getting down early. It's easier to, score when the other team's sitting back we don't like playing on the power play because (laughs) because the other team plays too hard these sound like ridiculous sorts of qualitative assessments but if you look at what's happened over the past seven or eight years it rings pretty true i mean that's what they are and the thing that's even worse about this is that i think they're just going to perpetuate this they're going to re-sign sean couturier in two years for a seven-year deal they're going to re-sign freaking claude drew and i love claude drew he's been a phenomenal player it's not all his fault but i do want to see a different type of leadership group here jake voracek has another four years after this something like that um and it's just going to be the same thing over and over again. They are perpetuating the cycle. There's there's no opportunity to make a change. And I think that's the thing that's really concerning here is that the wheel is just going to continue exactly. to spin. That's the thing. Like, even going short shorter term this summer, Travis Sanheim. Nolan Patrick, you know, it's just it's just easier to resign them and keep hoping that they're going to fucking do something than it is breaking the mold and letting Seattle take Sanheim so you don't have to re-sign him and going out there and finding a different defenseman of, of top caliber. You know, like, that's the kind of stuff that the Hextall era burned in my mind, but the Fletcher era has done nothing to change that way of thinking, right? It's just, it's the perpetual stuck in this bullshit, you know? And that worries me about the expansion draft. They can reasonably just go into the expansion draft, lose somebody like Aubie Kubel or Patrick, non-consequential, nothing-happening players, and you walk away with not only all the money of Voracek and Giroux and Katori and JVR, but it's the same group. You know, I just don't... God, it just drives me nuts that there's no change on the horizon. And... and for all we know, they could do something at the, the trade deadline, but I, I just feel like yeah. it's not going to happen. There's going to be an excuse, right? Even if they get one player, it's just not going to be good enough, and there's going to be an ex- Well, we can't because the cap is flat. Well, there's an expansion deck. Well, this, well, that. You know? 
and there was no options out there. Oh, we tried, but we couldn't make it. You know, supposedly Fletcher was trying real hard this past offseason to get a defenseman. You know, the TJ Brody-esque player. And if he tried real hard, but it didn't happen, then it doesn't fucking matter how hard you tried, right? This is not a league of horseshoes and hand grenades, you know? If you don't have that player on your team, it doesn't matter how hard you tried, you know? And it just it's so hard to to feel like things are going to change. And when I when I hear people on Twitter say, well, I want to see what he does at the trade deadline before I make up my mind, it's like, come on! We all know yeah. how this story's going to go, right? And the trade deadline is, like, freaking useless this year anyway, because yeah. if I'm not mistaken, there's only, like, 13 regular season games after the trade deadline. So what are you going to do? I mean, if you make a trade with a Canadian team, there's going to have to be some sort of quarantine, probably. Two weeks so, or something? Yeah, so that's going to eliminate most of those games. Even if there's not much of a quarantine, what are you going to get, a handful of games with a new player one, before you go on. to the playoffs? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13 games the Flyers have scheduled after the trade deadline right now. Yes. So, you know, how much are you really going to be able to integrate if you do make a substantial move, which they won't, but hypothetically, if they did, you know, are you going to be able to integrate all these other players and all of a sudden have this momentum in the playoffs? I mean, maybe, but it seems like you should have done this last freaking summer. Why'd you wait? You know, do it then, because now it's, it's there's too many variables. There's too many moving parts. It's too difficult to do it now. Why didn't you do it earlier? And so that's one of the things, too, as to why this particular trade died, uh, trade deadline, at least to me, is is not quite as valuable. And you're going to have to pay a regular price anyway yep. for for less games. That's true. I still think you, that it's incumbent on you to do so, though. I don't see how you can let this team flounder yeah. around Agreed. and you piss away another season. Like it's another loss, like a season of nothing. This team went to the second round and I know it was a false second round. It wasn't really like they deserved to be in that second round. Montreal outplayed them in that opening round and the Islanders just completely outclassed them. But I mean, I'm sick and tired of hearing, well, sometimes excuses are reasons. And I'm, I've heard that elsewhere on, on Twitter. And you sit there and you sit there and you, sit there and you go, like, I'm, I'm watching TV and I see this show, 13 Reasons Why. And I'm like, oh, this must be about the Flyers offseason and how they didn't do jack shit. And then I got depressed even more because it's about some girl who wants to, you know, harm herself. And I'm like, Wow, I don't even know which one's more depressing, the, the, the that or or the Flyers off season. But uh, I don't know. They they have to do something, and it's I'm, I'm tired of hearing the well, we can't do it. I mean, listen, th- there's a little bit more clarity because there is going to be a draft in July, so maybe that uncertainty was kind of holding some GMs back from having real discussions because you don't want to lose a first round pick next year if you go to get you know, franchise player Shane Wright, potentially. But um, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the answer is, but I think you do have to address the defense and see what happens. And then you got to be flexible. And then if that comb works out and he's been a breath of fresh air on this defense and he gets Carter Hart to play better and he gets his defense partner, Ivan Provorov, to play better and then the second pair gets to play better, well, 
then you have a decision to make. Do you do the seven three one in the expansion draft, or do you do the eight skaters and a and a goaltender? Then you got a, a choice to make. And I'd rather be in a position where you get to make the choice and not let the situation make the choice for you. And you're right, Dan. If if Seattle picks uh, uh, Nick Abe Kubel, that's a worst case scenario. Yeah. That's atrocious for the Flyers. Yep. And it's not because we're going to miss Nick Obey Kubel. We can pick another garden full of guys like that from our farm system. We've got Lazinski. We've got Allison. We've got all these other guys. It's about the salary and moving forward. As Mike said, the thing with Sean Couturier coming up, re-signing Giroux. I know he's not going to get 8.2. He's going to come at a discount, hopefully. See how much. You know, you still got Jake Voracek on the books. You still got JVR on the books. Oh, God. As as Anthony DeMarco said, ideally, you want to trade a guy uh, when he's having a season like that. Do you give up and just sell and say, you know what, JVR is going to be trade? Who's going to take it? Who's going to have seven million to, to yeah. you know in cap space other than the Red Wings? You know, like I don't know who else would have cap space. It's really tough, but I don't want the situation dictating what we should do. I think Chuck Fletcher has to show some leadership and some guts because that's his job. He knows this team. He knows the guys in the prospect pool. He knows the guys that are on this team and what they can do and what they can't. And it's time to shit or get off the pot. Do something. You can't just sit there and twiddle your thumbs and make excuses about the cap and expansion and this and that. And, oh, my God, it's a full moon. We can't do that. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear yeah. it anymore. See, like, we got to do something. All the trade deadline stuff I've been writing, you know, I, I probably about half a dozen pieces out now. So I, I, I've been accustomed to a lot of the ins and outs and the money and the players available and things like that. And the one thing I've noticed is – it's not impossible to do this. You know, you can make one, even two trades and, you know, for, for players of substance and be fine. It's not impossible, but it is more unlikely that something happens. Like I, I, I think I wrote a piece over the summer. Like they could have realistically landed Petrangelo and line from a monetary perspective. It could have worked out, but the, moves the steps that would have been taken to had to get both of those players were more or less unrealistic right and i i feel the same thing can be applied here where you can make multiple moves from a financial standpoint the flyers are screwed but they're not that screwed i think they have like a little a shade over five million dollars by the time the deadline rolls around to cap space you know like you can make some moves you can shift players but is it gonna happen do you give up a Gostas bear for an Eckholm to make the cap work so you can have the free cap to go get somebody like Savard. You know, it just doesn't... Again, there's just no faith, right? I have no faith in the organization making the correct move, let alone multiple correct moves, that would not only help them now, but it would affect them at the deadline. It would affect them in the summer and they go to resign Travis Adam, but they fucking they better not do. But, like... It's just, there's so many negatives to anything that works out here that even if it works out theoretically, I just don't know if it works out in real life. And that is the most frustrating part, is knowing that they can do, they're not up against the cap. They're not over the cap. They'll have plenty of room at the deadline to make something happen. But will they? You know, that's the question. There's enough of a doubt there where I don't think they're going to. And if they do, is it going to be worthwhile? Is it going to be Nate Thompson? 
or his defensive equivalent, you know, and just call it, well, we like our team. Here's a, you know, nothing happened in fucking fourth line or nothing happened in seventh defenseman we're going to throw into our lineup. Is that the way they go? And listen, I would love to sit here on April 12th and we do our trade deadline wrap-up show and be eating a big bowl of crow with a little shit sprinkled on top, you know? And just, nom, 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 okay, they got Ekholm and Savard and fucking Alex Petrangelo, nom, 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 nom. I just don't think it's going to happen. No, I'm going to get a tattoo, and it's going to say, <laughs> never good enough to win, never bad enough to change. And then it's going to have a logo of the Flyers right under. Put that on a pillow. Uh, yeah, and that's going to... And that's going to be, I mean, that, that is absolutely what this team is. And it's funny, you know, bringing up this trade talk, I think that Pierre Lebrun had a quote in an article recently about Chuck Fletcher in the off season saying that something of the elk, that he was the most aggressive GM trying to get a top four defenseman. Well, that's great. But if you're trying to offer a guy like Shane Gostisbehere, like one for one for like a top pairing defenseman, like that is not going to get it done. I mean, I know that with respect to the line a rumors, it was like Shane Gostas bear and something else that was minuscule for Patrick line a because Fletcher was trying to convince shovel day off that Gostas bear was their top pairing power play specialist <laughs> sort of thing. Like, yep. no, like you can be as aggressive as you want, but you're offering shit to every single other GM and they're not going to take it. So like, <laughs> That is the thing that, like, I don't care how aggressive he is. Why don't you be less aggressive but be more realistic and targeted and try to actually make an offer another team's going to accept? So that's, like you said, Dan, I mean, that's that's where we're at here. Are we going to get another, you know, like a Nate Thompson, Derek Grant kind of acquisition, which I think is likely. I mean, I yes. think the Flyers are looking to do something on the low, low end like that. Something you know, but it, nothing substantial. Yeah, yeah, like 358. Uh, PM, you know, a minute and a half before the trade deadline. It was like, oh, we're sweating it out to get Nate Thompson or something. It's like, give me a fucking break. I mean, it's just so stupid. It is just so goddamn dumb. So, um, yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. I am prepared to come on here. You know, we'll do our trade deadline post show. It's a, it's going to be, I am, I, I bet the house that they don't do jack shit. Yeah. I just had a, I just had a vision when you were making that description, Mike. Yeah. I was picturing like the Flyers front office as like the CEO and upper management of like a cigarette company, and they're like, "All right, the deadline's in like five minutes. We got to do something. We got to get these kids to buy the cigarettes. Uh, we, bring me Jordan Wheel. That's gonna be our move. Let's go. Let's go back to the well. Bring me Dale Weiss. Bring me. Bring me whoever." Yeah. Oh God! Yeah, that's it. It's just not going to happen. I, I, I really don't think it's going to happen. That partially goes back to I think that the team is okay with where they're at. I think they're fine. The, the twelve to twenty-two range. Yep. You know, never good enough to win, never bad enough to change. We're cool with that. Nice. But, but regardless of if you were negative or positive heading into the season, I think both sets of fans would freely admit that thus far. They've been disappointing. And I don't see how you can sugarcoat it otherwise. This team should not be in a position where we're out of a playoff spot 20-some-odd games in the season. Yep. We shouldn't be. That That's unacceptable for the team that was supposed to be taking steps forward via osmosis and just maturity and gaining extra you know games of experience. And that didn't happen. And so Chuck Fletcher now has got to figure out 
do I make a move now and see what happens and just try to shake things up? I think he should. I think he should anyway. And then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I still think that you have to have the mentality of I need a game plan to shed salary. And I, I did a piece uh, on Brotherly Puck about the free agent class. And there's no question that the top prize for the defense is Dougie Hamilton. And I love Provorov, but if Dougie Hamilton's available, I think he makes a lot of guys expendable. And I think that you can move a lot of guys away to get a guy like that. And by the way, getting a guy like that gives you so many options. When you play a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, you can have Provorov on the ice against the Matthews line. And then you can have, you can split them and you can have Hamilton and his, his pairing go against the Tavares line. And if you go up against a team like Boston, which has the perfection line, well, you can play them both together and put them out there every single time that Marchand, Pasternak, and Bergeron are out there. And it frees up everybody else. There's a lot of different looks on the power play. They're going to have to be creative to try to get Dougie Hamilton here. He's going to want at least seven and a half to eight and a half million bucks. You're going to have to abide by his term and sign him to whatever length of term he wants. And you're going to have to coax him and say, listen, you're going to be the power play guy. You're going to be top pair. You're going to be number one guy. And you know what? I'm cool with having Ivan Provorov as the number two, if that means you bring in a guy like that. But the thing is, is that you have to have steps and a plan to say, who are we shipping out to make that happen? Can can Hamilton would be great and all, but we're uh, we're here questioning whether they're going to make any moves at the trade deadline or expansion draft, and we're just going to assume they're going to get Dougie Hamilton. <laughs> oh, they're not. But this is again, this is what a rational somebody that's trying to build this team uh, would do. Yeah. One other thing that I think would be really interesting and inject a ton of life into both teams. And I and also I think Pierre LeBrun had something on this or somebody from the athletic did was the situation going on in Calgary right now um, with their team largely stagnating over the past couple of years. They definitely have some talent there and the Flyers and the Flames would really be good trade partners to make a huge deal. And I'm talking about like, you know, three to five players from each team swapping something like that with maybe some draft picks in there or something like that. Um, but I'm talking about guys like a Johnny Gaudreau, like a Sam Bennett, um, even like a guy, I don't know, well, I mean, Chris Tanev has, an, has, a, has a modified no trade, but somebody like that where you're getting a couple of forwards and a defenseman and the Flyers throw in like a, I don't know, like Travis Konechny, uh, like Travis Sandheim, a Jake Voracek, that sort of mix where you're getting all these players at the higher end of the spectrum. These aren't low-level players but you're swapping them to change the mix and the salaries largely kind of match. They're not that far off. So I feel like there could be some momentum there again. Will it happen? No. If we had a GM like a <laughs> Jeff Gordon, like a Jim Rutherford, those kind of guys. Yeah, I could see that happening because it's fun, but no, we don't. We have a guy like Chuck Fletcher who I'm beginning to question uh, his, his bias for action motivation that was so paramount. To Dave Scott. Uh, there's a bit of a spoiler here, but uh, in the top five crazy trade scenarios piece that I'm working on, that'll be out in the next week or two. Uh, the Flames are featured pretty heavily in that one, uh, as far as potential moves, because there there are things there that do make a lot of sense. Uh, not just you know from a financial standpoint, but rumors that have already been uh, long standing. So I don't know. 
I don't think I've ever been so disheartened as a fan in my whole life. I don't think I've ever felt so apathetic and so just like, it's just, it's never going to change, you know? God, yeah, it it's tough. It's tough that, you know, the Flyers were in a different situation as compared, and, and we keep going back to Buffalo, but like they're, they're an organization that just, that just can't grow its wings. They can never get off the ground for whatever reason. The Flyers aren't really that, but during this era of Flyers hockey, we are in the, for all intents and purposes, the eighth year of this uh, I don't, regime, Hextall, Fletcher, Claude Drew, Jake Voracek type of regime. And we're, we're getting to an absolute breaking point right now on it. It's not like there's been all this turnover, you know, where one of those types of organizations run like the Sabres where we can't get off the ground. It's just we're at a time now where there's just been so many years of buildup. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're feeling this. Yeah. I mean, Hey, Stalin had a five-year plan, you know? Like this is- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the Calgary thing makes a lot of sense, Mike. I totally agree. You got to look at teams that are wanting to move on Nashville. It's pretty clear. They're nine points out. They're done. Their defense core is just a wreck right now. They're finished. Um, Calgary would be an interesting one. Monaghan is kind of an interesting one, mm-hmm. too. Um, he's a guy that's kind of been really underwhelming. Can that guy turn it around and be a centerman on this team? Uh, you know, and then it goes back to what we talked about before. I, I'm not interested in having Nolan Patrick as a 3C. I'm sorry, but I'm not. He's either He's either a top two center or he can move on. Uh, and, and it sucks to say, and Katie was right about um, something on the Brotherly Pod show the other the other day. Um, and no, no, it wasn't the Robert Hag shout out, Katie. I, I heard that. <laughs> um, I, I tweeted her a picture of Robert Hag in response this morning. Um, and uh, it wasn't the whole that she thought that Keith Jones was Mike Milbury. Um, but basically, she said, you know, at the beginning of the season, we were going to give him a chance. And this was a year of no expectations. And I certainly came into this year with that. But He's now gone 16 games without a point. And that's, he's in a big rut and he needs to get off the schneid uh, in a big way. I mean, when we, when we talked about JVR being 16 games goalless and we said Nuns uh, had a better, you know, scoring rate. <laughs> um, listen, he's turned it around. So now I'm going to say the same thing to Nolan Patrick. Nolan, listen, the Nuns at whatever Catholic school it is, whatever it is. They get more action here and more goals than you do, you do, buddy. More points. Get on the board. Let's go. I want to be on that Nolan Patrick train, but unfortunately, I think the Kiss Revenge Tour of 1991 is uh, a much better success than the Nolan Patrick Tour thus far. <laughs> what a disaster Nolan Patrick is. This whole, it's sad. Like, it's sad. Yeah, and, and and you know, there's so much revisionist history with him and and how the draft went like I wanted him I was ecstatic when they drafted him they're glad they did but at this point it's like come on you know he's he's not necessarily bad as much as it is just totally underwhelming you know he's just a dude that goes out there and exists you know he scored the the shootout goal yesterday and everybody's like oh my god it's great i'm like yeah great you can score a goal one on one with nobody else on the ice great but the second he feels any kind of pressure he's playing the perimeter the whole goddamn game and not getting his hands dirty 
And uh, that's just this is what he is now. And I don't know what they do with him in the offseason. Um, if they don't use him for trade bait, quite frankly, you can probably get him for three years, you know, a million dollars a season at this point, and he can just wallow on the fourth line till the end of time. But I don't know. I, I don't know what the fuck you do with the guy. He's been given every opportunity in this lineup this year to get something working. And it just, no matter what, it hasn't worked. His play has improved a little bit, you know, from what it was earlier in the year. But, it, Jesus Christ, talk about being a, an invisible player. Yeah, he doesn't want to get to the dirty areas. Nope. I mean, he had, I think, oh, was it last night or, or sometime in the past few days where, like, he screened the goalie on somebody's shot where you're thinking it went off him, but it didn't. And that's the first time, I think it was on the power play, but it was the first time that I had, like, seen Nolan Patrick, like, near the crease, yeah. like, all season. Yep. I was like, holy crap, you know, like, that sort of mentality. I mean, you look at a guy, at a guy like Joel Farabee who is always sticking his neck in there. I mean, that's why he's got so many goals. He's having a sensational season. It's because he is hungry as hell, and he will always go to the dirty areas. And that's something that Nolan Patrick will not do. And I always go back to this because it pissed me off at the time, but he was a petulant little pissant during his media conference uh, when the season started. Didn't want to answer any questions about anything that had gone on it. I'm sorry, Nolan, you're a professional athlete. Freaking deal with it. So he didn't want to answer any questions about his health. So I said on one of our shows, I forget which one it was, but I'm not going to give him any free passes for any sort of illnesses or ailments or physical or physical issues trying to get back in because he acted like there's nothing wrong. I don't answer your questions. You people are shit to me. So I'm going to be critical as hell on him right now. And 16 games with no fucking points. What the fuck are you doing, man? Get the hell off my damn team. So that's where I'm at with that guy. I still see people that say, well, we have to give Oscar Lindblom and Patrick the benefit of the doubt. We have to give them the same equal benefit. Of the doubt. Here's the thing with that. And I talked about this the other night as well. Oscar Lindblom survived cancer. Nolan Patrick survived a migraine. I got a whole fucking thing of Excedrin right here. He <laughs> takes them and get the fuck back out there. You know, you're Lindblom. Here's the thing with Lindblom. I think he's doing exactly what I expect of him to do this year. You know, I, I do think some bit of last year's offensive production was a bit of a fluke. The 11 goals in 20 games, whatever the hell it was. You know, I think he can produce offense, but I don't think he's a sniper by any means. You know, him on the third and fourth line right now, like, I think that's where he is. He's a fair, a very good two-way guy who can chip in offense from time to time. Like, I think he's doing his thing right now. Is he underperforming? Yeah, probably. But is it anything super substantial? No, not at all. Patrick, on the other hand, like you said, the, the, the cocky attitude he has when it's totally undeserved is like... You know, if you're going to sit there and, and be fine, you know, we'll disclose your medical history, fine, but you just missed, you know, two years of the, you know, <laughs> migraine. Like, you know, there should be some kind of explanation, some kind of something, right? Uh, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, doing good. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Yeah. Like, that's all we ever hear out of the guy, you know? He's just a weird dude. And, and this fan base can, you know, thirst over all he wants, but at the end of the day, it's like... He's here to play hockey, and he's not doing that right now. You know, it's just they're not on the same level. Lindblom is is doing his thing, and he's working back. Patrick should be cleared and good to go, and he's not doing shit. And and maybe he is a bit gun shy to get into the dirty areas, you know, for fear of 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 a hit or, or something along those lines. But it's like if you're afraid of doing that, what the fuck are you playing professional hockey for? You know, go golf or something. <laughs> 
You know, like I I know we're in this fucking 2021 and everybody's afraid of physical players, but Jesus Christ, you know, it's hockey. You know, what are you doing if you're afraid of this? I just, God, Nolan Patrick's driving me nuts. Fucking, I don't like him. You know who can coax a good interview out of Nolan Patrick? Almore Gansey. You ever seen that one from the carnival? (laughs) Hi, Nolan. How you doing today? Mm, I'm doing good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you feeling better? Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling better. I'll be back soon. Okay, great. A great interview. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck was that? I'll remember that interview to the day I die. Do you have a mouthful of marbles? (laughs) You know what? We need to sit him down with Oprah. And she needs to just talk to him about his feelings and what he's been going through. And, and I'm not trying to demean it in any way, but we if somebody can get to the heart of the matter and just touch this young man's heart and get him back to playing hockey the way that he should, I think that would be a, a step in the right direction. Chuck, call Oprah. Do it. It's going to be a rating smash. You got to do it. Come on, Chuck. Chuck Norris is 81, and he's got more action in his bones than you do, man. Get on the phone. Do something, anything. I need to see that you're okay. By the way, did Chuck have COVID? Yes. I believe so, yeah. Because I did read that somewhere, and I am just, I was just like, whoa, that was kind of uh, slipped in there that he's kind of had a bit of a, you know, a little bit of a scare. It was in January, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in January. It went under the radar. For sure, for a, for about a week and a half, two weeks, and I think it came out on an interview and on like Sirius XM or something like that, and and everyone's like, "Oh, I didn't know that." But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just to recap the Nolan Patrick thing. I think with him, if he were to kind of recalibrate his mental approach to the game, I think there could be some potential there. Um, he's very hardened. And I don't know why he has to be that way. I mean, the Flyers should have plenty of resources to coach those kids and, you know, give them some sort of ability to talk to the media, talk to the fans. It's not even just about that, but um, I don't know, just a way, just just some sort of mentor to to emotionally open up himself to to become a leader to become an nhl player to do the little things every day to embrace that lifestyle and i just don't get the feeling that he wants to do that i feel like he's he's you know he's cool playing in whitey's world tournaments in western canada but like he doesn't really want to do the nhl thing um because it's harder because it's hard work because it's it's difficult sometimes and that's the part with him that's the that's the gap that he has to bridge is is the mental approach to the game yeah um and if he can do that he certainly has the physical tools absolutely physical tools which is great because a lot of players don't have that um but he's gonna have to make strides and real quick um because the flyers (laughs) who knows what they're gonna do in the offseason with him he's a good player i think you know even in his current state he's a very good player he shows the flashes of of potential but it's a matter of putting the pieces together there you know connecting the two wires and it just doesn't seem like he's super interested in doing that. And I don't know. I don't know what you do with the guy. Oh, one more thing before we uh, call it a day. I got to get uh, Mike's opinion on this. Scott Hartnell on <laughs> color commentary. <laughs> oh, my God. Ugh. Where do you start on this? This he's is like, uh... I, I don't think he was worst. He's not the worst guy I've ever heard in that role. But he's such a goddamn homer. Like, he still thinks he's one of the players. 
you know? Which is, first of all, saying something, that he's been eight, gone eight years and he still knows half his roster because he played with him. Like, <laughs> Jakey's out there doing his thing. He's fucking, don't call him Jakey, you shithead! You know? Yeah. Like, separate your, your, your being a player from being a broadcaster. I think Chris Terrian did a very good job of being a broadcaster, adding bits and pieces of what it's like to play the game without being a player. And I don't think Hartland does that very well. No, I mean, there's there's quite a bit to unpack with the whole Scott Hartnell on the broadcast crew here. And it goes back to, number one, he has no freaking training, zero training at all. So my problem as a viewer here is, why do we have to indulge you, Scott, <laughs> as, as, okay, you can go to zero to 60, go from nothing to the highest level. These are plum jobs to be a broadcaster for an NHL team, whether it's in the studio or in the booth, which he just did for the first time the other night and was a total freaking train wreck. Why do we have to indulge you? Why? I want to watch these games because there's trained professionals that have years of experience and are at the top of their league or their profession on this stuff. Why do I have to watch you fumble around? It's ridiculous. And he also admitted when he did that broadcast the other night that he'd never done a live game broadcast in his life. I mean, my God, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Why do I have to sit here and watch this shit? It's like, dude, you are a rich professional athlete. Why don't you just go to like a college and just join their broadcast crew or something? Maybe, you know, give a donation or something and, you know, work with their broadcast crew, get some, get some experience that way work for an ECHL or an HL team like Danny Briere is doing to be able to kind of understand the ropes and stuff. Why do we have to indulge you at the highest level right now? And that's why I have no freaking patience for this. It's just horrible. I mean, he's totally unprepared. He had a quote the other night. This was so fucking ridiculous. He goes, looks like Ovi wanted to pass that one with all the goals he has. <laughs> what the fuck? High level mean? commentary right there. Like, what are you talking about? Like, he doesn't know what to say. He has no clue how to analyze anything. It's like, as a player, you should have an understanding of X's and O's, because that's what you were taught. You have all this experience with that. I want to hear that stuff. He's a freaking idiot. My mm -hmm. God, freaking, like, anybody else on the broadcast crew knows more than he does about hockey, it seems like. So he shouldn't be here. He has no training. He needs to get training somewhere else before he gets to this level. And he shouldn't be immune from criticism at all. I'm not going to indulge him on this stage. <laughs> so that's it on it. Manny, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch him, given you're up in Canada, but uh, or getting any flyers feeds. But that's uh, that's where I'm at on it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen him. I, uh, I The Buffalo games, I've been seeing Marty Baron. And like his eyes are like piercing and gray on tv and you're like whoa he almost looks like he's uh, from a vampire movie or something <sighs> but it's actually quite transfixing you kind of get hypnotized watching marty baron on the uh, on the screen there he does a good yeah. job playing yeah. it even though he's he's a buffalo commentator but you can tell that he's got a little bit of insight on the flyers as well which is which is good cool oh and one other thing on the flyers broadcast i don't know if you guys caught this the other night so they normally each home team broadcast will interview a team, a player from Alex their own Ovechkin. team. Alex Ovechkin. <laughs> they interviewed Alex Ovechkin during intermission. Jim Jackson. What? Because the Flyers suck so bad. I've never seen that in my nope. life. I called it out immediately. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah, I put, it on the, I put it on the Brotherly Talk page as well. Big signing. 
Let's go. Alex, imagine Alex. Imagine Chuck Fletcher just sits there, boring as dog shit, does nothing, looks completely inept, and then you see, oh, the Flyers have signed Alex Ovechkin. Flyers have signed Alex Ovechkin. What? <laughs> that would be like the greatest day of all time. But of course. Never ever happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could get used to that. Hey, I'd rather see some of the other players' stars. They're better than our stars, so uh, let's see them get interviewed. Yeah, was, uh, that was that was baffling. I put that on the uh, brotherly puck Twitter at the time too. It's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, Hartnell. I've been actively avoiding the pre-post game and, and intermissions. I, I, I can't deal with it. Her, uh, him and, and Hatcher just drive me absolutely nuts. Can't take them. I've been muting it. <laughs> Second that period's over. That's it. TV's on mute until they come back. I, I can't take it. And God, there was, there was uh, act- apparently he's doing it more this year. They said what four or five more times. Great, awesome. Looking forward oh, what? to it. Oh, it was in Hartnell. the booth. Yeah, with Hartnell in the booth. Oh my God, he, he. It was so funny. They interviewed him about it, and he was like, "Yeah, I've I've never called a game in my life, and his only training was like watching." JJ and Jonesy do it once or twice. <laughs> Sounds like a recipe for success. It's like a child. I think I tweeted, I was like, you'd have better success just pulling a random fan out of the seats and putting them next to JJ. Yeah, let me do it. Tell yeah. everybody what's up. <laughs> yeah, seriously. All right, everybody. We'll call it a night here. Um,. The show with Katie and Noah earlier. I'll be back tomorrow afternoon uh, with Anthony. We got Jesse Granger of The Athletic back on the show. Our first returning guest, I believe, that we've interviewed. So, it'll be good. Get some info on the Golden Knights. What's going on out there. And, uh, I don't know what the hell the schedule look like next week. But, uh, plenty of stuff up on Brotherly Puck. I got more trade pieces coming out later in the week. I guess tomorrow. I guess today, for most of you listening to this. And, uh, yeah, at Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod, at Heart Countdown underscore, but that account is basically fucking useless these days. Because, you know, he doesn't win games. So, you know, if they ever win, you can follow that one. But, um, Manny, where can people find you on Twitter? And we didn't even touch on Carter Hart. Oh, what is there that's What is there to say about Carter Hart? That, nothing. He needs to play better. That's it. Yeah, that's that's all I got right now. You know. Yeah, defensive problems I think are are more paramount at this point. Yeah, they, yeah. The, the team's not helping his case on that one. There's only so much Hart can do. It's been the problem with goalies in Philly for years and years and years. The defense sucks, thus the goaltending sucks because of it. There's only so much you can do, right? At Manny Benavidez, B-E-N-E-V-I-D-E-S. Got a peek at the UFA class up on brotherlypuck.com. Go check it out. Anybody I miss, let me know. We all know that the Flyers aren't getting any of these guys, so just I thought it was <laughs> out there. Uh, Mike. And you can find me on Twitter at flyer underscore AF. Stands for uh, authentic fan or as fuck, whichever version <laughs> works for me. All right, everybody. Till next time, goodbye and good night.